Good morning, OCC. How you doing? Yeah. So, got any sports fans in the room today? Any sports fans? All right. It's been a weird year for sports, hasn't it? It just isn't quite the same with this whole COVID pandemic thing. Um, we're not able to attend sports like we once did. And even watching sports on TV, uh, the, the cut, cardboard cutouts in the stands, they're just not quite cutting it for me. And, and it's weird because you know the difference fans make. If you've ever been to a game, if you've ever been an athlete, then you know that fans are a difference maker. That the noise and the roar and how excited it gets, it gets you pumped up, it gets you ready to go. You know that it can encourage you, it can disrupt the other team. And so this year, several sporting venues are piping the noise in. And the NFL is one of them. At most of their home games, the, the, they're piping noise in from previous games and previous seasons so they can get that roar, so they can get it. And usually, usually that's advantageous to the home team. Now, there is one team. I'm not going to call out which team it was, but there was one team in the NFL this year. They've been having a pretty rough season, and they had a series of blunders in one of their games. And so when the guys were leaving the field they got booed off the field. Listen, they don't have any fans in the stands. So how bad do you have to be when your sound guys have that ready to go? They have queued up the booing to let the team know, take it up, man. Now, I'm wondering if those guys kept their jobs, but either way, like you could hear the fan noise booing. But in most situations, it's the cheers and it's the celebration and there's the fan noise pumped in. And usually that's a huge advantage. And in the NFL, in football, fan noise has even a different kind of advantage than it does in some other sports because if the quarterback out on the field can't communicate effectively to his team there on the field, if those guys can't hear his voice because the fan noise is so loud, then it disrupts the whole play, it disrupts everything going on, and it creates a problem. So there really is an advantage. There really is a thing about being the ones who can yell the loudest. And that's good in sports, maybe, but that's a little awkward. It's probably not great advice for us to be the ones to yell the loudest in other venues. If we carry that same thing into other parts of life, imagine you go out to eat with your honey and you're in a nice restaurant and the server comes and you're just going to yell as loud as you can, I want the steak, right? I mean, it's like you might feel like yelling if it's a, the right steak at the right place. That's, that's celebratory, but it's just going to be weird. If you're at certain venues, you're sitting in the back of the class and you answer your teacher and you just yell as loud as you can, the answer's fine. I mean, it's just, it's a weird thing to do. If you're picking up your kids from the kid ministry, now there, you might have to yell because those kids, they're raucous, they're noisy. You might have to yell a little bit over them. But there are certain places. You tuck your kid in at night, you're saying goodnight to your, to your honey. And, and if you're just yelling, I love you at the top of your voice, that's just an odd thing. And it could be a little humorous maybe in those situations, but it'd be really exhausting to live that way. The problem is we're beginning to live that way. It's as though we are in a season in our history where it's a competition to see who can yell the loudest, the longest. And we just have all these competing voices, all this yelling going on all the time. And it's hard to escape. It's on the news. It's on our social media feeds. It's even in our casual conversations. You name the topic, people are yelling about it, and it seems like they're just trying to yell louder than the other person. 
and it is everywhere around us. Our country has become polarized, and every single issue, it seems, has become politicized. And we as a people have become, as my buddy Ben says, politicked off. (laughs) We're just getting done with it and fed up. And so there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better approach. So church, we're gonna be talking about politics. For the next few weeks, we're going there. We're not afraid to go to that subject. We're gonna talk about that subject, but we might talk about it in a way different than what you are hoping or anticipating we will be talking about it. Because whether we're talking about immigration or education or we're talking about policing or we're talking about masks, you name the topic and people are divided, they're upset, they're yelling. The fact that I mentioned the NFL earlier, I know some of you were upset that I'm, because somehow our football has become politicized and it's become a big deal with that. And here's the thing that bothers me most. Can I, can I just confess to you as, as your minister here at OCC? The thing that bothers me most, that unsettles my soul, is that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, sometimes, too many times, we are part of the problem. That we're just joining in and yelling like everybody else. Just trying to get our voice heard. Just trying to yell as loud as we can to make sure that they know that we're right. And we're trying to get our point across. And it's just not good. So in this series, The Separation of Church and Hate, we're going to take a look at a different approach. We're going to look at the posture and the practices that we as Jesus followers can take to navigate this age of outrage, to, to figure out how we can show some different kind of perspective in all of this. So there's four things we're going to look at. We want to behave with civility, and we want to honor other people's dignity, and we want to demonstrate humility and finally pursue unity. Those are the the guiding principles for this series, for us in this season, to navigate the age of outrage. Behave with civility, which we'll talk about today, and honor others' dignity, demonstrate humility, pursue unity. If we will do that, we will change not just the conversation, but the climate of the conversation in our nation and in our homes, and in the places we work, and in our schools, and in our city. And we will allow the Bible to be our guide through this, looking at God's word to see what it has for us. Because after all, Jesus said that his followers would be known by their anger. His followers would be known by their their rants on Facebook, by their snippy tweets towards other people, by the way they degrade people who disagree with him. Jesus said his followers would be known by how upset we are and how we got to get our way and get our rights out there. I didn't say any of that, did he? Jesus said his followers would be known by what? By love. That we will be known by our love. And honestly, there's not a lot of love that we see in our culture right now on too many of these issues. So we wanna be people who, who demonstrate love. And so what does that look like? Well, some of you, you're really excited that we're gonna be talking about politics. Now, I've heard from some of y'all who said, yeah, yeah, we're going there, we're finally going there, you're finally gonna talk about this, good. Because you need to tell those Democrats, because you need to tell those Republicans, because you need to tell those That's not what we're going to do. We're not going to tell you who to vote for. We're not going to tell you how to vote. In fact, I like Billy Graham's approach to this. Billy Graham was a famous preacher and evangelist. Died a few years back. But he was well known all over the world. 
And he was a man who was a spiritual advisor for several presidents, Republicans and Democrats, through several presidencies over the span of several decades. And when he was asked which side he was for, he said, well, I, listen, I'm not for the left wing and I'm not for the right wing. I'm for the whole bird. And that's our approach. That that's the way we come at this politics stuff. Because politics is messy. And it's really messy when we start intermingling our faith with it. So we're not going to raise the Republican flag and we're not going to raise the Democrat flag. We are going to raise the banner of Jesus Christ alone because governments rise and fall and politicians come and go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is the only one who saves and Jesus is the only one worthy of our exalting him and praising him and glorifying him. Jesus is the only savior. There is no one you will vote for in this political season who will save us. Jesus has already done it. He already has that title and no one else gets it. So we will raise the Jesus banner and that banner alone. Now, I know some of you are a little nervous about this series too because you're wondering if we're gonna go there and what we're gonna say to you. I'm not gonna push you to, to change your ideas, but I will push you to change how you interact with other people. One of the things I'm going to ask of all of us is that we would be people who are willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter. That, that our faith would be way more important. That it would prove in the way we live and the way we treat other people. That our faith would prove to be way more important than our politics. And, and while I'm concerned about the way you vote, and, and I'm concerned about who you vote for, and, and I'm concerned about those kinds of things... I am most concerned about, about how you treat people who vote differently than you. Those other things are important, who you vote for and how you arrive at how you vote for that person, but, but way more important, the most important thing is how you treat the people who vote differently than you, the people who disagree with you, the people who don't see eye to eye with you, because this thing is messy. It's messy. That the complication comes. When I ask you if you'll put your, your faith above your politics, that almost everybody would say, yeah, that's what I do. That's how I arrive at who I'm going to vote for. That's how I arrive at who I support. Yeah, but my, my faith leads me in that direction. But the thing is, everybody would say that, so it's a little complicated. And it gets really awkward for a guy like me preaching a message like this because I know that if you were to ask me, if you were to ask me to preach a sermon that would demonstrate that the Republican Party is, that their agenda is totally in sync with the teachings of Jesus, I could do it. And if you were to ask me to preach a sermon that would demonstrate that the platform of the Democrat Party is totally in sync with Jesus, I could do that also. But because it's such a messy thing that, that I know people who follow Jesus, who are passionately pursuing Jesus, who have a rich, mature, devout faith, who have surrendered their lives to Jesus and are living their lives for him. And and I know some of those people who are Republicans and I know some of those people who are Democrats and some who are moderates and some who are independents. And so this is really, really messy. So church, we can understand that, that neither side, neither side, nor those people who are in the middle who don't really have a side, No one gets to claim exclusive rights to Jesus and say, we're the party of faith. This is the Christian party. Like, that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. It's just too complicated for that. Nobody gets to claim exclusive rights to Jesus. 
Because Jesus doesn't choose sides. He stands above it. He doesn't take sides. He's, he's taking over this thing, right? And so we, we got to be careful not to try and pigeonhole Jesus and say, well, that's the party that, that's, that's Christian. No. It, it's so messy. You, you can follow Jesus and land on different sides of the aisle depending on the issues. And so our faith has to be more important to us than our politics. And we have to define our politics by our faith and not vice versa. So, like I say, I'm concerned about how you'll vote. I'm concerned about who you'll vote for. But I'm really most concerned about how you'll treat people who vote differently than you. And that's where we're going today. That we just need to treat people with civility. I like what James, the brother of Jesus, had to say about this. James the, the brother of Jesus. Let, let's just pause on that. What, what must it have been like to grow up as the brother of Jesus? Can, can you imagine in that household, can, can you imagine being Jesus' brother and getting a try? Just picture Mary and Joseph scolding James. James, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Uh, well, you see... To forget that whole birth thing, that whole narrative. Like, uh, like if anybody had reason to rebel because of sibling rivalry, James has the reason. So he's got pretty good street cred on how we should deal with people who disagree with us, people who are different than us. And, and so James says this to the early church. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Say quick to listen. Uh, listen, y- y'all were so ready to listen that you weren't ready to speak. Say, quick to listen. All right. And you online, you join us in this too. Say, slow to speak. And slow to get angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So if we want to produce the righteousness that God desires for us and from us, it appears human anger is not the way. It, it appears that, that just speaking our peace isn't the way. It appears that getting upset isn't the way, but listening is the way to do that. Listening is part of this process of producing the righteousness God wants for us and from us. Typically, we get that backwards, don't we? If you're like me, it's a whole lot easier to speak first, to get angry first, and maybe never really go to listen. That, that, that we are quick to speak and we are slow to listen if ever we do listen. And the problem is in our, our nation right now, in our culture, we got a lot of people who are speaking their peace, lots of people saying all kinds of things. And, and everybody wants to be heard. So everybody's just trying to speak over the other person. It's, it's like a, a holiday dinner at the Fitz family. Everybody's just speaking over everybody else, just get louder and louder, just yelling over each other. And nobody's really listening to anything else. And so you never do get the thing you're trying to get somebody to pass you. You're like, I don't care about the conversation. I just want the food, just pass it down. And nobody's getting hurt and nothing's happening. It's just, and it's exhausting. And that's what we're living in. And that's what we're living through. So let me give you this, this revolutionary secret. If you want to be heard, if you want other people to listen to you, here's the secret. We earn the right to be heard when we listen to other people first. You you earn the right to have somebody listen to you when you listen to them first. 
This is true in the political sphere. This is true on Facebook. This is true in conversation. This is true in relationships. This is true with parents and kids and kids' parents and spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends. You can put this into any relationship. You want to be heard? Listen up. Listen first. Listen first. When we listen to the other person, if we're actually listening, we'll learn something. We begin to understand something. The problem is, even then, even as we listen, we still, we're, we're, we're listening so we can speak over them. We so often listen to react, to respond, to retort, to rebut, to rebuke. But, but that's not true listening. That's us just trying to get a moment to say our piece so we can speak, so we can be heard. So friends, I want to challenge you to slow down and be quick to listen and listen to understand. Listen to actually hear the other person. Listen to actually hear where they're coming from and develop some compassion. So often, I'll hear people say, yeah, but I just, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand how somebody could, could vote for that person or agree with that agenda or side with that political party. I, I just don't understand how that could be. I, I just don't understand how they could say this and say that and, and do this thing or support that thing and behave this way. And, and you know what we're doing when we say that we don't understand? We're confessing. We're confessing that there's something we don't know, that we don't know how that person arrived at that place, that we don't understand that their experiences and their background and their previous history and all the things that have gone on for them, that their situation is different than ours. And so that's why they have a different place. And we just don't understand because we've not been there. It's a confession. And so if we actually listen to understand and we want to understand, let me give you another great trick the way to understand someone is to use this great phrase that just says, help me understand. Help me understand how you can hold that point of view. Help me understand how you can support that agenda. Help me understand how you can say that thing or behave that way or think that thought. Help me understand. And when we listen to understand, we, we move from being a critic to being a student. We practice what James is telling us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We go back to his text. James says, says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Anybody else have trouble with this last one, slow to get angry? I mean, I got trouble with all. I'm just, I'm going to confess to you. This is not me preaching at you because I do this whole. This is me preaching at me because I don't do it well and just inviting you to join me in changing, okay? This is a tough one for me. I, I got a lot of words. I like to share them and I don't like to listen to other people. I'm just, I'm prideful, I'm arrogant, and I think I know what's right. So I'm just going to get that out of the way. And God is working with me on that all the time. And I, it's tough for me to be slow to speak. It's really tough for me to slow down on getting angry, right? So you get to see the hands again, all right? It's easy to get angry, isn't it? It's easy to go there. It's easy to like just jump on my hand and be like, whoa, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, we're just like rambling away like it was Timothy's hand, you know? So James gives us an idea. He says, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So what does human anger produce? And, and let's get this right. Because we will try to disguise our human anger as God's righteous anger. It's not. Let's just be honest. We're upset because we've been slandered. We're afraid there's something going on in us. It's not from God. It's from us. So what does human anger produce? Well, James continues on in his letter to the church. And he says, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. 
We've seen that in the news, haven't we? We, we? we know that. We've got those images in our head. Think Colorado, California. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by, whoa, check this out, hell itself. That is some challenging, pointed statements from James. Since people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes, sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So, so blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So James gives us several images there, but two of the ones that dominate are fire and water. And we know, we're living in a time where, man, there's the fire rages all around us, trying to navigate this age of outrage. There's just this fire in our culture where people are upset and they're divisive and they're, they're hateful and they're harmful towards others. And they just keep speaking things. And each one of us, each one of us has an option for what we bring to the table. Each one of us gets to choose between one of two buckets. We each have this. Every time we speak, every time with our words, our attitudes, our actions, when we join in the conversation, when we tweet that tweet, when we post that comment on Facebook, when we share that email, when we share that news story, we're we're choosing one of these two buckets. Now, these buckets, they don't represent Republican and Democrat. They don't represent UofL and UK. Some of you would prefer they do. They don't, they do represent gasoline and water. And gas and water. You know what it's like if you put fuel on a fire, if you dump gasoline on a fire. You know the sound that makes. Woof. If you've ever put gas on a fire, you know that is dangerous. It's destructive. It's explosive. People can and often do get hurt when fuel just gets dumped on a fire. But you, you probably also know what it's like when you and you dump water onto a fire. If you ever had a little fire in the backyard, a campfire, you ever dump a little bit of water on it? You know the sound it makes, right? That tss. As the water puts out the fire, as it dampens the flame. And so one of these represents the rage, and the anger, the, the, the gotta get my voice heard. The other one represents God's spirit, his spirit of kindness, Gentleness, of mercy, civility, dampening the fire and the rage and the anger, and offering something refreshing, something different, something life giving instead. So every day we, we choose one of these. Every conversation, every time we're, we're interacting with somebody, we're choosing one of the buckets. For you know, choose to add. Fuel to the fire, or are you going to choose to go a different way? Which bucket will you use? 
Which one will you choose? Are you gonna, you gonna let the fire grow bigger, out of control? If you are a follower of Jesus, one of these makes sense and the other one just, just doesn't make sense with who we're called to be. In the middle of all the shaming and blaming, the, the hateful, hurtful, divisive, destructive comments out there and in view of all the, the nasty ranting and raging, are you gonna add more fuel on that fire? Or will you dampen it with gentleness and kindness and civility? Which one will you bring? If you're a follower of Jesus, pouring gas on the fire is just a terrible idea. It weakens our witness. It pushes people further from Jesus. It adds to anxiety. It steals away hope. It's just not who we are called to be, church. It's just not representative of who we are. So so when you see that post that gets you upset and angers you, your blood starts to boil. When you hear that comment made that just sets you off that's not right, when you you see those things and and you know like that's not the way it's supposed to be, then then instead of getting, getting upset, getting angry, instead of speaking out right away, maybe there's a different way. Maybe as a Jesus follower, there's a better alternative for us. Maybe, maybe as followers of Jesus, instead of always feeling like we got to speak our mind, maybe the better alternative is for us to mind or speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Be slow to speak your mind and quick to hear others. Quick to listen. This turns you from a critic to a student. If you trace the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus all the time was asking questions and only some of those times was he offering his opinion. Jesus had this way of just tossing out a question and then letting it sit. I'm terrible at that. That is hard to do, just tossing out a question. But he had the way of tossing out a question that he knew that question was gonna get to the result he wanted. He was Jesus, a pretty smart dude. So he could do that. But all the time, instead of just speaking his mind, he would instead invite others to enter into the conversation. It it seems that the Jesus way was not to always speak our mind, but to be mindful of what we're speaking and to slow that down. That the longer I listen to people, that the more I tend to learn from them. And the more I learn from them, the more understanding I have. I, I begin to understand and appreciate their situation that they had a different background and different experiences and different hurts and different wounds. And, and instead of going to having to speak, I, I find that I, need, I, I don't need to speak out as much. I can speak less and listen more and I'm drawn to that and I'm, I'm less angry and I'm more compassionate. And, and I gain this understanding of where they come from. That doesn't mean I always agree with the, the end result, where they're going, what, what they think the solution is, but I can understand and appreciate why they're going there. And it changes the conversation. I'm, I'm actually able to dialogue with people who I disagree with when I slow down and I listen and I seek to understand them and I learn from them. Instead of just thinking I got to set them straight, I, I can listen to them. And maybe sometimes even I realize maybe I don't have all the answers either. The, the less I feel the need to, to write that post that, that puts somebody in their place or, or worse, makes that person look bad. The less I feel the need to to offer to the world on Facebook my solution that would arrogantly assume that I do have the solution and that everybody else cares. 
Because most of you don't, most of the time. <laughs> you just stroll on past it. Or you get upset by it. And, and it limits that for me. It limits that arrogance and it pushes me towards just understanding. And so when you feel the need to blow up with anger, just call a time out. Because it's real easy to blow up with anger. We, we already identified that. And, and a lot of us, we can go there. We, we, can, we can blow up pretty quickly. And it feels good for you, for the moment, when you just blah, blah. Oftentimes, later on, we regret it, right? And in the moment, it felt right. But not for anybody else. Like everybody else, when you blow up, everybody else is just picking up the shrapnel from the explosion. Now, some of you, some of you don't blow up right away. Some of you, when you get upset, you clam up. Like, that's your defense mechanism. And you just walk around all like, mm-hmm, you know, just looking upset until, like, just waiting for that person to ask you, what's wrong? Also, you can just look at them and be like, nothing. You know, and you just kind of, but we push those buttons long enough, eventually, eventually, instead of blowing up each stage of the way, you've saved it all for one, like, nuclear explosion. And when the clam-ups blow up, watch out, because that's really bad. And when that happens... It's really destructive to relationships. So here's the alternative. It's just paraphrasing what James has told us. Before you blow up, hush up and listen up. Before you blow up, just hush up. Saying a little softer than we might hear it sometimes. Before you blow up, hush up and listen up. But before you make that response, you post that comment, ask yourself, is this helpful? Ask yourself, is this true? Because it's really easy to, to just take the hearsay and, and post it. Because if we think that it's right and we agree with the point, we'll assume it's true. One of the problems in our world is, is algorithms. When you get on social media, whenever you click on one thing, it sets an algorithm in place. And it starts sending you more of things like that. And it just keeps filtering down and down and down. Every time you click on it, getting narrower and narrower and narrower. Telling you what you want to hear in a way that you think that's the actual truth. It's a brilliant design and it's terrible for us. All you gotta do is just talk about a ceiling fan sometime in the presence of your phone and then get on your phone sometime and notice that you'll have an ad for ceiling fans. It's spooky, it's weird. And if they can do that with a ceiling fan, how much can they do that with our faith? How much can they do that with our politics, with the way we vote, telling us what we want to hear? How many of us spend more time getting truth from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Fox News or CNN than we do from sitting with the source of actual, meaningful, eternal truth from God's word? And it's a different kind of truth, but it's ultimate truth. It is the truth. So we hold up God's word. And most of us, we, we, we go to that truth far less often than we go to the truth in the other places. And so it creates problems. And then we also turn to those other places, the, the news and the social media, to learn how to deal with people who don't like the truth, or at least the particular bent of truth we have, and the people who disagree with us. And so we're learning to deal with people who disagree with us by all the wrong places. Instead of going to God's word, we go to other places. And so we're disagreeing terribly with each other in such disagreeable ways. And it wounds our witness. And it's just not who God designed us to be. But it's really easy to go there. It's really easy to go there emotionally. It's really easy to go there with suspicion. 
And when we've had past hurts, we've had past experiences, and we're concerned about the future, and we're fearful for what's now and what's next, then then it's really easy to grab hold of those other pieces and and buy into the hearsay, and, and to let the enemy come in, and the enemy starts weaving in a different kind of truth, creating suspicion and telling a different story from what's going on in reality. And this happens in politics, and this happens in religion, this happens in relationships with the ones you love most and best and closest. And this can happen in the church. It can happen in the church. And I've seen it happen in the church. That's why I want you to hear from me. My buddy JC mentioned earlier, we've got a few staff who are going to be transitioning from OCC. And I know for some of you, if you've been around OCC long enough, you you might have some scar tissue from previous seasons when some staff transitioned out. You might have a little PTSD from the way some things shook out. Some of you have been around here for a little bit. You got a little trauma from, you know, a little while without a lead pastor. And, and that, that, was, that was different, or a lead minister. And, and that's, that's just, just a challenging thing. And so your mind begins to go there and the enemy wants to go there. So I just want you to hear from me that we're going to celebrate these three who are leaving. And my buddy Ian Woldridge, who's leading worship for us today. He serves in our student ministry. He's taking a position at a church in Florida to be their lead worship guy and their spiritual formation guy. If you know Ian, you know that there has never been a position created for a person more fitting than that position. And it's in Florida. Kind of a no-brainer to go, right? So let's go visit him. I think that's a great place for us to do, you know, church retreats. You better buy a big house with a big backyard for us. We're going to miss that guy, but we are celebrating him. It is the right decision, and it's the right move for career and faith and just for his family. Miranda Mook, who serves in our elementary ministry and leads in that area. At the end of the year, she's going to be transitioning from here to move back closer to home. And she's making a a really bold, courageous move at the right season of life to do the right things for all the right reasons. And we're going to celebrate her. We're going to miss her, but we're going to celebrate her. And we love that kid. I say kid because I'm old enough. I can call those people kids now. It's not a great place to be, by the way. (laughs) And Max Stevens, who serves on our tech and creative arts team, has accepted a position that's a great career move for him to be the lead tech guy at another church. And we'll miss him, but we love him and we celebrate him. And, And here's what I want you to hear. All of them leave on really good terms. This church and the leadership of this church love those three individuals. And those three individuals, by everything they've shared with us, have a whole lot of love for this church for you and for their leaders and for what God is doing in this place. And so we will miss them as people, but we are okay as a church and as an organization with those vacancies. And even now, even as I speak, God is already beginning to shape things for the next season of ministry and what things will look like here. Listen, there's challenge in this season. Of course, there's challenge in every season. That's the way things work in church. There's always challenge, but I believe firmly that there is always way more opportunity than there is challenge. There's always way more opportunity than there is opposition because we serve the risen, reigning Jesus who is king over everything forever. And so with him, our mission will not falter. It will not stop. It will not slow. We are still moving full steam ahead to help everyone find and follow Jesus. 
And those three individuals are sent from here and that has become part of their DNA. They're gonna be helping people find and follow Jesus where they go. And we're gonna be partnering with them and we're gonna be loving them and we're gonna be cheering them on and we're gonna be celebrating them and they will continue to cheer on and celebrate this church also. So church, whatever the enemy might wanna whisper in your ear to give you a different narrative, don't let them have that foothold. That's one of the prime ways that the enemy works against the church. So just don't let that have a place. And you can feel free to talk to any of those individuals. Talk to me, we'll we'll tell you. We're in a good place. Now, before we go, I've got one more thing I wanna share with you. One more little piece of advice on this whole quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry kind of thing. Before you post, before you make a comment, before you say that thing, before you blow up, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's this gonna do to the other person? What's this gonna do to that other person? When people see this, when they hear this, when they, what's it gonna elicit from them? How's it gonna, how's it gonna land? Is it helpful? Is it hurtful? Is it harmful? Is it degrading? Is it divisive? What, what is this? Because too often our only filter is this, am I right? Am I right? And the funny thing is, we all think we're right almost all the time. And if we didn't think we're right, we, we'd change our mind and do what's right. So we always think I'm right. So we feel the need to say what's right, to be right, and to, to espouse that we're the right ones. And the problem with that is, we're so busy trying to be right that we do it so wrong. We gotta ask ourselves, what's more important to win a debate, to win an argument, to win an election, to win our own way, or to win somebody else to Jesus. Like which one of those matters more? When we stand in the face of Jesus at the end of time, at the end of our time, the things get passed on the back for, hey, you voted the right way and you put everybody who voted different in their place. I don't think that's a conversation we're gonna have, especially if we've tried to put other people in their place. Listen, those things matter. Elections matter. But the way we treat people, that's eternal. And that matters most. So if we're so busy trying to win an argument that we lose a person, we're doing it wrong. And we're just doing it wrong. So church, we gotta learn to do it better. We gotta learn to disagree better. We gotta learn to disagree without being disagreeable. We, We gotta learn some humility and we gotta learn to disagree without attacking other people. So here's my challenge for all of us, is that we would strive to be winsome, that the way we deal with other people would be in a winsome way, gentle and loving and compassionate and understanding, so that we might win some of those people to Jesus Christ, so that we might win some of them to faith. So let's strive to be winsome so that we might win some to the faith. We don't wanna win on all the wrong things and lose the most important things. We cannot afford that. The kingdom can't afford that. The church can't afford that. Those individuals can't afford that. So let's do everything we can to protect our witness and to protect the reputation of the kingdom and the church. Friends, we can't treat other people like garbage and then invite them to come see what God's up to at the church. Oh, you're gonna vote for that? You're an idiot. You should come to church with me. Like this just doesn't work. You can't treat somebody like garbage and make a rant on Facebook and say, by the way, you want to hear my story of courageous faith? No. You can't treat them like dirt and then say, you should meet my Jesus. Because at that point, they don't want anything to do with your Jesus. 
So don't show them that. Don't do that. Instead, live and love with a courageous, courageous faith that moves us out of the way, that elevates Jesus. Doesn't mean we can't be bold. Doesn't mean we have to change our opinions and our views and the way we vote and our stance on things. But it might mean that all of us here need to consider that we need to change how we interact with people who might hold a different opinion than us. Because church, at the end of the day, here's what I know, that it's up to us. It's up to you and it's up to me to separate the hate from the church. Let's pray. God, we don't always get this right. In fact, we confess that too often we get it wrong. That we're so passionate about ideas and thoughts when we really need to be passionate and compassionate about other people who are far from you. So God, let us hold that as the supreme thing, as the thing that we chase after. And God, we thank you for your word and that your word is truth and that your word guides us. And we thank you that you have not given up on us. Even as people like myself who are sometimes just so quick to get angry and so quick to speak our minds, God, would you, by the presence of your spirit within us, would you slow us down? If we're quick on anything, God, may we be quick to listen and to understand and quick to show mercy and quick to show grace and quick to show forgiveness and quick to invite people to come and experience you. And may we be slow to speak our mind. Father, we pray that your church would be a shining, bright example in the midst of a culture that's so dark and that's so divided and so much hatred and anger and disruption. God, that we would be a place of unity and peace and civility, that we would do it so differently The people would be drawn to you like a magnet. They just can't help but want to see what's happening here. God, may that be this church. May that be what defines Oklahoma Christian. Is that you have your way in us so much. So God, may our posts on Facebook, may our tweets on Twitter, may our interactions in the office and in the school and at the games and in the backyard and at the table and everywhere we go, May they direct people to you. May they be civil and winsome and loving. And Jesus, we pray this in your name.